Welcome to Women Living Intentionally, also known as Women Lit. My name is Kaditra Cooper, and I am the founder and executive director of Women of 4D. Women Lit is an extension of the vision and commitment of Women of 4D. On this platform, we will recognize and value the personal journeys of women and also take you through their experience of resilience, influence, and endless possibilities and how they've manifested in their lives. You are more than enough. Never let your circumstance write your story. It can't hear your heart. 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 Until we meet again, remember, the possibilities are endless. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Sarah? <laughs> Sorry. Do not turn that on. I don't want anybody yelling at me about Oh my goodness! Delta's in the and I wore my Delta sweatshirt today. <laughs> Let me go get my hat. <laughs> <laughs> get my umbrella, get my blanket. <laughs> Welcome to Women Living Intentionally with Eileen. We're with Cheryl Edwards Cannon to talk to her about her book, Taking Care of Miss Beebe, Stories by a Daughter Extraordinaire. Cheryl, we are so excited to be here with you and talk to you about your book, Taking Care of Miss Beebe, Stories by a Daughter Extraordinaire. That would be me. <laughs> so tell us, how many siblings do you have and how did the responsibility of taking care of your parents fall on you? Well, that's a very short story. I, um, I am the oldest of three and I've always believed that a parent knows to, to which child they can depend on. And that was me, obviously. Um, I had a brother, but I lost him about six years ago. And I have a sister who is about 10 years younger than I am. And so my mother had always had made a comment now and then about, I don't know about my other two kids because they're going to go off and live their lives elsewhere. But that oldest child of mine, Cheryl, she's not going to get too far from her mom and dad. So when it came time to talk and have the talk about what it means to be taken care of, as you age, my parents, without hesitation, said, Cheryl, you will be our power of attorney. And my response to that was, well, you have two other children. Perhaps we should sit down and talk about that to make sure everyone is on the same page. Everyone is in the right accord. And my, mo <laughs> my mother said, well, we can do that, but we know it's going to be you. <laughs> and so I said, okay. So with that, um, I became their primary power of attorney and had both medical and financial responsibilities for them. What motivated you to write the book about caring for your mother, taking care of Miss Beebe, stories by a daughter extraordinaire? Well, that's a very interesting question, Eileen, because I don't consider myself an author, although I've been published a couple of times now. I consider myself as a pretty good storyteller. And as my mother was making her progression through her diagnosis of early onset dementia, I was sharing behavioral changes with the community where I worked or my friends. And these are just comical stories. And so this community that I interface with frequently suggested that I should write this down. This would be a great self-help book. And I said, but I'm not an author, but you can tell the story. 
So over time, I said, well, maybe I can. So I started writing down the stories of her behavior and my reaction to her behavior. So I would um, take a story about getting her dressed, for example, and it may take me two or three hours to get her dressed. But it, at the end of that adventure, it was always so very funny. And so I started recording and um, I was traveling a lot. So I found time to to write down these stories while I was flying and I mm -hmm. would find myself chuckling on, on the plane. So then eventually I had enough stories to go forward to actually move it to um, a publisher okay. for final printing. I'm sure you have many stories about the times you were taking care of your mother. How did you decide which stories to include in the book? Well, what I did is I started to frame in the structure of the book. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be intentional on ordering those stories from when she was still pretty cognitively strong, right through her, her end of life kind of stories. And I wanted to show people within this phase, um, maybe wandering away becomes more present. In this phase, it might be her inability to take care of her biological needs or dressing needs. In this phase, you might find that she has lost her ability to ambulate or to talk. So I wanted to have a progression for the reader to understand um, when things start occurring and how I have to adjust to accommodate that new phase that was she, she was in, bearing in mind you know, we can always will and hope and pray that they'll somehow or other recover from this. Mm -hmm. That's not going to happen. So that was a, re a early reality check that I had to give myself. So it's, it, it became more important to meet the needs of where she is currently today and not where I want her to be. Cheryl, was the change in your mother's health gradual or sudden? And what were the signs of the illness before you had her tested? We, um, she was still living at home with my dad and he was sharing some things with some things that she was doing that were a little different. So it was a very slow progression for my mom. Um, she actually lived with her disease for about 15 years. So the changes were very slow, but we learned through the process that anything that seemed a little odd, that is what the disease is doing. So, it, so for those first three to five years, we were just kind of guessing, well, is that it? Is that it? Is that it? Because, you know, we all have some level of forgetfulness. And with her, it was very hard for us to tell what was natural aging versus the disease. Okay. So when she got to about maybe in her, between her fifth and 10th year was where the um, changes were more um, dramatic. She lost her ability to speak. She was talking to me on a Wednesday. When I went to visit her on a Thursday, she never spoke again. And there's no explanation for that. So during her disease, I decided to make sure that um, we were monitoring her brain function. So I would have um, two or three MRIs done for her just to see, is it normal aging or is it the disease? And so that MRI confirms for you what the, what, where the disease, where the progression of the disease actually is. So that was helpful. Then after a while, you assume that anything that comes that's odd or different is a progression of the disease. 
Your mother was a very active and vibrant woman prior to her illness. How did you adjust to the mom you always knew, to the mom who required the love and care you gave her, especially emotionally? How did you handle this? Well, you know, because her progression was so slow, um, I always felt that a certain part of her was still there. So she would see me, she would smile, you know, she would still call me, there's my daughter, there's my daughter. So we still had those moments between mother and daughter or best friends that we we shared for for a long time, a very long time. During her uh, progression, I would go in to see her during the dinner hour and the staff would be sitting with her trying to get her to eat, for example. And (laughs) mom would just clamp down on her mouth and not open her mouth. And they kept trying. They, they try again. Once she heard my voice, she'd perk up. She'd wait for me to appear. Then she would just look at me, and she would give me the biggest grin. And she would just nod her head. And then she would take her hand, and she would always touch my, my cheek, or she would touch my, my earring. So I proceeded, just like any other conversation that we might have, to tell her about my day. I would tell her how work went. I said, well, I've got to make a trip tomorrow. When I get home tonight, I need to do this, this, and this. I said, did you have a good day? And she would, she would actually nod. She, she wouldn't say anything. She would just nod and give me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I knew that there's still a part of her responding to me. So that made the, the progression a little bit more tolerable. Um, when I decided to get married, I had my mom there. Um, I had to assign one of my cousins to sit with her because she, she would have a tendency to want to talk out loud <laughs> at different times. And um, But it was important. It was very important for her to, to witness that. Now, because my parents were married for almost 60 years, I missed having her words of wisdom as I became a wife at 50 years old. And I would, I would expect to have gotten her guidance, her support, her wisdom, examples on how do I become this very strong, independent, single woman in charge of her own destiny to being a partner with somebody else who um, needed me to soften some, some of my edges and become a supportive spouse. So I, I did miss that. But in her place, I have two other women who kind of took me as their other daughter. These are women who don't have daughters. And they said, you know, in the absence of your mom, we are here. And they continue that relationship with me today. As time went on, you moved your mom from her home to a facility. Your dad was also at home prior to going into a facility. How were you able to handle all of this along with working and family? Oh, boy, Eileen, I'm amazed. When I think back on those years that I did that, I'm amazed how I held it together. So I was, it was before I got married, and I had my own house uh, in, here in Grand Rapids. So every, every other weekend, I would stay at home at my house. I would do the laundry. I'd get my house clean, take care of errands, Right. And mom was living here. And so I was making sure that she had what she needed. Then I would travel home and take care of my dad's house. Mm -hmm. I would, uh, on the weekends, I'd go down, I'd pick up mom, we'd go down and we would, um, I would clean his house, help him with his laundry. 
attempt to do some grocery shopping for him, make sure all his bills were paid, which were very few at the time, and, you know, spend the day with him and make sure that he had what he needed. Um, we had neighbors who were nearby and they made sure that he was getting a proper meal. I would attempt to have some meals that I prepared for him, but of course I'm not a, I'm not a cook on any level, but just making sure that he had some nutritious food in the house for him. I kept that up for several years. And to this day, I don't know how I did both of those. So I'd, I'd pick mom up about eight, we would travel down there and then he got a chance to visit with her and I could go and do everything else that he needed to have done. And then at the end of the day, which is around seven or eight, I load her back up in the car and I would come back to Grand Rapids. So um, then once we got married, um, and especially after mom, I had to move her here, um, I had other people helping me with daddy at home and checking on him, but I still would make my trips, a day trip. But then at the, that time, during that period, I had uh, my husband to travel with me and I could send him off to the grocery store and, and I would stay at home and do the housekeeping and communicate with him. And I, and I could see very clearly that living on his own was taking its own toll. Making the decision to place a parent in an assisted living facility or a nursing home is a difficult decision. What brought you to the point where you decided you needed to do this? Mm -hmm. And can you tell us how did you select the facilities? Oh, okay. Yes, we knew with mom's diagnosis that that day was going to come. We just didn't know when. My parents had always been advanced planners, and we had had that conversation when I became their power of attorney. We knew that the medical community was, was directing our decision-making somewhat, describing for us what would when we when when we know when when we know when it's going to happen and you just know you just know and so i said well if if the progression of the disease is such that she's more of a flight risk or she's too much to handle for him while they're living at home then we need to be prepared for a place for her to come we agreed at the time that that place would be closer to me where I could see her, I could monitor the quality of her care. So that day came in 2005 when they were visiting for a weekend and my mother fell in our garage and broke her leg. When that occurred, I had already visited about three different facilities and I had them in the preferred order. If something were to happen, this is facility number one, two and three where I would feel comfortable having her to go. Now, I did not expect Eileen for that decision to come in that moment. I thought we would have a little bit more time to move gradually to that point. But when she broke her leg, I knew we had to move then. So it was a Labor Day weekend, holiday weekend. We had to have her leg set. That was fine. But when that event occurred, I couldn't let her go home even that weekend. She was in a wheelchair. She had this cast on. She thought it was a sock. She kept trying to take it off. And I knew he could not handle her like that. When your mother was transitioning, you said you let her go. Can you talk a little about that? Um, today I can talk about it. I'm not so sure at the time. Um, actually, I had had a conversation with one of the aides 
that had taken care of her from the whole time she lived here in Grand Rapids. And it was just the three of us in her room. And I was sitting beside mom's bed. And this aide said, Cheryl, this is what's happening with her right now. And she made me look at my mother. And she was very gentle. She was very kind. She brought me to um, the place of realization that she's not going to come back from this. She's not. If she, if we could make her better, um, we would have. And she said, you let her go so that she will go. And, and of course, I got emotional. And I said, but you're right. So the aide left the room and I had a conversation with my mother. I told her she had lived with dementia long enough and it was time for her to join her mom, her dad. She's the last child out of five and she needed to go have a conversation with her son. I said, I will stay here. I'm gonna take care of daddy. I'll take care of Lisa and her husband. I will take care of the two grandkids that she had and I will also take care of Larry. And I had that conversation and five days later, she did let go. And it was very peaceful. I was with her and it was okay. 15 plus years with that was more than enough for her. And I, I, was, I was okay with her letting go. And we all were actually as, as a family because if, she's not, if she can't be with me and be whole, be 100%, then let her go someplace where she can be, where she can celebrate and enjoy. So I did. Cheryl, I love the tips you provide for caregivers in the book. More sanity tips to successful caregiving, tips for successful road trips. Do you have any other suggestions you can give caregivers? Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Um, yes, um, I, when I have to speak before audiences, whether they're caregivers or family members or even some of the work I do within our church, I, I want caregivers to be mindful that you are not alone in this work. There, in this country today, there are more than 33 million caregivers across the country in all 50 states, either taking care of someone older someone younger or both. And that it's going to be the wave as we baby boomers start to move into retirement. Um, the volume of people, they're going to need care either at home or in a facility is extraordinary. So it's important that as a caregiver, you recognize that some people are just gifted into this, right? Some people just come by it naturally. They have those instincts. And I think God has given me those instincts. At the same time, too, there are people who would just be horrified to be in service to someone else. Well, we still love them. We're going to need their help, but just give them something else to do within their framework. So if there's errands that they need to, to run and do, go, go and do that. If they don't mind doing laundry or housekeeping or lawn maintenance, let them go find find that thing. But there are people who, family members who are just not going to have the interest, will not take the time, and will tell, tell you boldly, 
you can't count on me for that. You can't count on me for that. So we might find that we as caregivers are going to have to be in service for people out, not only in our immediate family, but within our community, our friends, our neighbors, our church family, and other people we come in contact with. So certainly be, recognize that, know that there's a lot more resources available for caregivers today than I ever had when my mother got her diagnosis. But I learned my caregiving expertise by watching her take care of her mother. And you, you learn how to anticipate what they're gonna need before they need it. You kind of think, well, if that were me, I, I'm going to need this. I'm going to need a change of clothes. Here comes the winter time. Getting all of that lined up before you need it and being organized, keeping lists, keeping track, keeping a lot of information in your head just so that you can recall it um, when, when it's needed. Patients, certainly patients are needed. You will be sleep deprived if you're not careful and maintaining um, your own quality of life, exercise, good diet, energy. Now, my mother had a, a pretty good head of energy, and so do I. And it's hard for some people to keep up with me. But, um, but you need to be healthy yourself if you're going to fulfill that obligation. You received a certificate in gerontology. What made you decide to pursue this certificate? When I was um, being coerced into um, building my own business around this whole thing called aging, I wanted to make sure that I had credentials to go along with it. I knew that there was parts of gerontology that I was not aware of. And there is a tremendous amount of federal legislation designed to help people who are older. And I wanted to explore that. I wanted to fill in the gaps so that I could be better prepared and presenting myself to people who are going to contract or may want to uh, engage me for services for them. So there's a program here in our community through our community college um, designed to fill in the gaps. So there's coursework involved. It took me about three years to get it all done. And when I graduated, I felt like I had a broader perspective on what it meant to accommodate and what resources are available for this older population. And so here, three or four years after I finished the program, I'm teaching in the program, teaching a course on aging in America. So it was just intended to round out my own credentials and my own experience. Can you tell us about Clear Path Choices? and what you do and why you decided to start this business. Sure, sure, be happy to. Clear Path Choices was actually born officially in 2014. And through the encouragement of people that know me very well and knew um, so very well about my passion for being in service to older adults, they said, you really could could expand this business or create a business that would be a nice resource for people who have this need. And I said, okay, I could. And at the time I was working at a place that I really wasn't terribly crazy about the work that I was doing and they weren't terribly crazy about me either. And so, so I said, okay, let's see what this would look like. How would I build this business to, to accommodate the needs of older people and the families who are given the charge of taking care of them? 
So I started just formalizing, Eileen, everything that I had learned from my mother's experience, how I took ownership from my own learning. Because at the time when mom was diagnosed, there was no resources readily available to help me understand what we would be facing. We just knew that she had this diagnosis, there's no cure, and she is going to die from it. Well, that's not a lot to go on, you know? So I started writing notes and taking, uh, making a journal of what I was learning and who I was talking to. So I made time with our attorney. Okay, what do I need to know about these legal documents? What, tell me about her insurance, you know, how, what, what, what is being covered in the disease and what's not. Um, I met with our bankers, you know, getting older uh, and being an older adult, this is the most expensive time in your life, all right? There's no more income coming in and your, your income that you have is very fixed. So I was creating this framework by which I could help guide the thinking for other families. And so the client that might call me, um, if they're doing advanced planning, they'll call and say, well, my family's coming in town for Thanksgiving. And, you know, mom's living on her own. We need to make some decisions about her care. So I'll get that call and then I will meet with the family and help to facilitate the conversation to determine how, how are the family members going to participate or not? Who lives where? What is mom's condition right now? Does she need help right now? Or are we looking down the road in a year or two? So once we do that initial conversation, then I come away for about a week and a half and think about what they shared. And then I would present them with a more formalized plan. These are the things that I think you should do in the next 30 days, especially if there's a crisis in the house. These are things that you can do over the next six months. And then I would periodically check in with them once a week or so to see how they were making progress on their plan, all right? So some of the clients I have served, not all of them are here in Michigan. I've had a client in Chicago and the family members were spread out around the country. And in that kind of a relationship, we, we just conferenced on the weekends and I would hand out assignments for the family members to do and come back and report out so that we could put the best plan in place for the, the one needing care, all right? So my goal has been to try and formulate um, a program for those churches that have senior ministries where they have a population of older people. And there's a workshop that I designed for my own church that um, I piloted a few years ago. And every week we would take a different subject matter and then I would bring experts in to talk about these are the legal documents that you need to have. The next week we would talk about um, funeral planning. And I, I was very surprised how many people, about 25 people came to that one. This is a real cost of a funeral, but if your financial condition cannot support a $10,000 funeral, then here are some other options. So people walked out of there with the notebook or the workbook that I created for them, making their decisions in the moment so that we can avoid the stress, the confusion, the, the darkness that all this, this um, decision-making can give you so that everyone is clear about the plan going forward. And so again, I think our people in our community 
are the ones who are the hardest to get to have that conversation. And we need it the most. You also work at a local college in West Michigan. What do you teach? Right, right. Well, I work my students pretty hard. So I have discovered um, most of my students are studying either nursing, social work, physical therapy, hospice, occupational therapy, or they have an interest in creating uh, an adult foster home where they can provide a, a comfortable, affordable living community for other people. So my students, um, I stress the importance of how important this work really is. And I'm expecting them to be very serious with it because I'm serious about it. So I structured the class so that it's very interactive. We, um, I tell my students, I can't expose you to the community that you're gonna be working with if we're just in a classroom. So we go on field trips. Prior to COVID, we would go on field trips. We would go to Meals on Wheels. We would go to an adult daycare. We would visit um, a retirement community that has skilled nursing, that has memory care, that offers, offers all kinds of services for people living in that environment. We have speakers that come in. We have one coming in on Monday who's talking about mental health in, the, in a COVID-19 world. What's being done within a retirement community that's giving our older adults living there a sense of hope, encouragement, and enjoyment. Being separated like that, um, the decline has accelerated, and uh, the person coming to talk to the class is, has found very innovative ideas and activities that they're able to do to take out some of that, that decline in depression and just feeling abandoned. It's a nutritional uh, kind, nutritional kind of um, challenge that they have because if you're depressed, you're not gonna eat. Well, older adults have to eat, have to eat. So I try to make sure that when they leave my class, that they are fully equipped to move into their careers, knowing how important it is and where to go for help when you need it. This class is all about connecting older adults and their families to the services and resources available right here in our own county. As a wife, education consultant, higher education instructor, business owner, and elderly advocate, how do uh -huh. you prioritize self-care? <laughs> it's strange that you ask me that, Eileen. Um, my short answer is, I don't know. I don't know. If, if it had not been how fortunate I am, how blessed I am that God gives me the energy and the stamina needed to do what I have to do, I, I don't know how I would have been able to sustain this role that I've been playing for a little over 20 years. However, however, um, unfortunately, I lost my dad in April, April 21st, unexpectedly. I'm so sorry to hear that, Cheryl. Thank you, thank you. Today's a better day with that. And as I reflect on my time with him, providing for him, caring for him, overlapping that time with what uh, I was committed to doing for my mother, I kind of lost my own identity. 
I cannot remember what I was doing prior to being a caregiver, being mindful that I started all of this in 98. And I'm thinking, oh, who was I? What did I look like? Where did I go? Who do I talk to? And so recently, um, Chicken Soup for the Soul is doing a new book on self-care and finding time for yourself. So I thought, well, this is my this is my sign to write about what I am doing in this new space that I'm in. Typically, I would go see my parents every day, on average, six days a week, every week of every month of every year for the last 20 years. That was my identity. Now that I have free time in the evening, um, I'm finding new spaces to explore that I had forgotten about. Uh, my husband and I actually have dinner together. We actually talk, we plan, we can go places. Now I have the time to do that. Um, I remember not being able to watch a movie and be seated here at the house because I'm doing laundry. I did my parents' laundry twice a week, wash, iron, take it back. I made sure that they were always impeccably dressed and that they would always look like somebody was watching out for them. I can't tell you the last time I put my ironing board up. COVID took kind of took care of that too. You know, and it became just a routine for me. I sleep better at night because I'm not worried about that phone call that you might get during the night. You need to come. Something's wrong. I can have family and friends over here at the house. That gives me another um, avenue toward laughter. I can take a nap in the middle of the day if I want to and not feel guilty. And so, so while I, I miss my dad, my parents terribly, I think the gift I have now is reinventing me and creating a new chapter for me. So this book that Chicken Soup is doing um, has put out a call for people to write an essay. So I'll keep you posted on that. Okay. Cheryl, you said taking care of your parents was one chapter in your life, and now you're mm -hmm. starting a new chapter, doing other things. What type of activities are you involved in with this new chapter in your life? I was afraid that I would have this, this, these hours in a day when I would normally be having dinner with my dad, and what do I do now? I'm not there with him. Well, I have other things that have come into play. I have other activities that I can take time and now do. We, we love gardening. Um, and so we can't do that year round in Michigan, but getting our flower beds for the winter is something I enjoy doing. We have taken time now. We've lived in our house for about 18 years and have always said, we really need to finish that basement. And, and so now I can project manage that and that takes up a fair amount of my time. Plus, you know, you're still doing the business and meeting with clients. And I'm also a consultant for Grand Valley State University. So, so suddenly that, that void, that quiet space when I would normally be with my dad is filled with something else. And it feels good and I'm sure it is that my higher power saying, we've got you. You're okay. It's okay to go and do you, Cheryl. Okay. That's, that's really good advice. So, I did. Thank you, Cheryl. I truly enjoyed your book. I really did. 
Can you share with us where we can purchase your book, The Cost? And if you're on social media? Well, Eileen, it's been my pleasure. I've enjoyed this. Um, I hope your listeners um, feel my passion and my energy and my love for our older people. Because I, I am an older adult now, too. So, um, <laughs> and grateful. Yeah, okay, so we're in this together. And I just, I just feel, I have always felt so strongly that God expects us to take care of each other. And I am, I'm humbled to do so. Yeah, um, taking care of Miss Beebe, um, Amazon sells it for $16.95. However, I do keep an inventory of books here um, that I can personalize for people who are interested in that. And those books are available from Miss Beebe's website. It is taking care of Miss B, capital B, capital B, dot com. Okay. And if, um, if your viewers would like to purchase one, I will, um, I cover, always cover the cost of shipping for them. If they would like for me to uh, write a notation to someone, if it's going to be a gift, just put that on your order when you place your order and I'll be happy to include that notation. And um, we are able to ship within 24 hours of receipt. I am on Instagram. I don't do a whole lot with social media, believe it or not, but um, people can certainly go to the Clear Path website if they want to learn more about the services we provide. And that's clearpathchoices.com. Hey, you guys, it's Kaditra. Um, I want to thank you for listening to Women Living Intentionally, also known as Women Lit. Um, in addition to let you guys know that there's still time to join our book club, which we'll have our book club meeting on March 25th at 7 p.m. via Zoom. And the book selection is Faith Walk, Using Your Faith Tool to Get Through Life's Challenges by Dr. Karen Ward. All relevant information can be found on our website at www.womenof4d.org. We also um, did an interview with Karen um, a little while back. And her interview can be found on our YouTube page, Women of 4D. All right. Well, until we meet again, remember the possibilities are endless.